Our physiology is our teacher. If we can understand our, the needs of our physiology, including the nervous system, then that informs us in how to give care. Welcome back to another episode of the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. I feel like I've said this the past few weeks in a row, but I'm going to say it again. This week, we have a truly epic guest to share with you. Augustine had a chance to sit down with the creator herself of Spitting Babies, Gail Tully. In Augustine's own words, this episode is full of, quote, word medicine. Gail shares wisdom she's gained from years of experience. She shares her perspective of how birth has changed over the decades, the paradigm of physiology and force, and how a simple question she asked during her doula and early midwifery days brought about spinning babies. To quote Gail, the questions that we ask create the quality of our lives and really the quality of our care. Without further ado, let's launch into this episode. Well, I'm I'm overjoyed to talk with you. And um, I would say almost everyone must know who you are. But just in case there's someone in our podcast who doesn't know who exactly you are, you give us an introduction. Thank you, Augustine. And again, I'm just so grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm... Uh, home birth midwife from Minnesota who had a small practice but a big question and I as I was assisting women actually I started out um, as a doula before the name doula came into play which was uh, around 1988-89 and then it didn't get around the country until the 90s but I had been attending births with people who wanted a natural childbirth in the hospital setting and they were coming to the home birth gatherings that we would have gatherings of home birth parents and home birth midwives uh, like meetups and then uh, people would come and say but I want to give birth in the hospital without any medication and so I said well I'll come with you and I, I did that for my first child I wanted a home birth so I asked the question after a particularly challenging birth for someone with a posterior baby, how can I help birth be easier? Or how can I help posterior births be easier? What can I learn that's more than slow dancing and, and walking sideways on the stairs and pelvic tilts, which is what we had in those days? Not that any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but they're not specific. And they didn't help this person's birth. And so I figured there was more to it than met the eye, more to it than the other births. I, I mean, I had been going to births for seven years, and I had never run into a birth that wasn't progressing. That's very different than today, right? We have different issues that we face in our anatomy today. So I just asked a question, and what I found, Augustine, and you're probably quite familiar with this, is the questions that we ask create the quality of our lives and the quality of really our care and how we think about things. 
And so it was really important to me to um, ask this question because it set me on a whole new course. What did we know about posterior labors? What did we not know? There was very little out at that time. Uh, heart, heart and Hands was out and there was a page and I didn't have enough experience to really see beyond the writing, to read between the lines. So I started to do a lot of investigation before there was internet, and that meant going to the medical libraries. And I was very interested in what did midwives do over time and in different regions of the world. It occurred to me that sustainability was because of effectiveness. So if midwives did things over the centuries, it's probably because it was effective. And what were those things and how did mm -hmm. people use those birth positions in different settings? We were trying to push back on Friedman's curve about time of labor and of course laying on our backs, which are still is still what we have to push back with today. But there's science to back us that wasn't so available in those days, although there was a little bit. Caldero Barcia was really looking at birth positions. Penny Simpkin was a big influencer, my, one of my first big influencers with her physical therapy background and going into the doula movement and really making sure that we understood about the birthing person's inner uh, agency and that it wasn't about us becoming experts to then inform or tell or direct or manage, but rather as a peer where there yes. is lateral uh, lateral power, right? There's actually servant, it, yes. it's really a servant power. And being a double Virgo, yes, I had to deal with yes. uh, leadership as a servant and confront my own egos and confront my training and even my my radical feminist mother's uh, influence on how do I be a servant and still be radical awesome. and strong and and uh, clear so that I could be a clear channel for that birthing person to reflect their own inner strength, somebody who sees that vision. Beautiful. And, and yet, Augustine, combat ideology about natural birth and midwifery. Yeah, and, there's a lot of fallacy and myths and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what we say, and is that true? Is that really true? And how is it true? So first of all, mm -hmm. is it true, but also... At the same time, how is what our ideologies true? What is the grain of truth that started that ideology? Because it's that grain of truth that we seek that creates ideology. So yeah. that's kind of where I started with that question and with that search. And then I started to talk about Penny Simkin and other mentors and looking at birth differently, bringing a different perspective, because we had the perspective of managing what we could measure. And there's some benefits to that. We need to have baselines and understandings and, you know, 
spectrums of normal. Yeah, is... we determine normal partly by what we can observe and see and measure. But I love this distinction. Keep going because like it is a fallacy in of itself. So yeah, keep it is That's powerful. It is because we're we have human nature. And human nature wants to simplify and pick one thing. Is there one thing I can do to have a great birth? Is there one thing I can do to prevent dystocia or death in birth? Is there one thing that'll make me healthy? You know, and and I bring a new paradigm to look at birth, not through managing measurement, which again, it's, it's not to throw that out. It's to add an and not an or. And the and is definitely right. That the the and is activating physiology, not measuring the cervix and saying, are we are we progressing? How can we add force? The how can we add fuel or force the way we would treat our cars? Let you know, shall we do that with the human body? But instead, understanding physiology with nuances, looking at what the history of midwifery has offered us to say, what is what are these techniques and positions and why? And now bringing in modern understanding of physiology, which I didn't do at the beginning of spinning babies. I started spinning babies in my own writing in, in 1999, 98. And in 2001, I put my first website on the internet. I remember. <laughs> you do? You must have been a baby. <laughs> yeah, I pretty what much was. What was happening in your life, Augustine? <laughs> in 2001, I was raising babies and studying everything I could. Wow. You know, wow. I had I had my... Um, I had two kids by then, and I was already deep, deep into midwifery. <laughs> and what you, I read, uh, I read on social media recently your your birth story, one of your birth stories of your child, three mm -hmm. long days, hanging out at eight. Cents. I know it's so weird. You know how Facebook's like randomly grabs posts and then shows them again. Like this is like a random. <laughs> international day of the midwife post from like to 2020 and it's <laughs> yeah 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 it was i've had uh, yeah all the all the things yeah mm -hmm. long, i came into time. birth i came into birth with an easy birth uh i come from a family of easy birthers although my mother and sister both had documented 10-month pregnancies and babies with vernix yeah oh, interesting cool yeah I, I, I like that because you know, that whole just that gestational generational family legacy. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, I I really I want to get into the nitty gritty and um let's start like where we are now and then go back a bit. So I've had these great conversations with some of the, you know, the experts, the amazing folks. I think I've I think we have a consensus everyone feels like birth is different now than it was 20 years ago i feel like it is i've heard that from all of these experts do you agree and if so what's different yes 
What is different? Well, we have higher rates of low thyroid, higher rates of insulin resistance. We have metabolic uh, challenges um, over generations now. And so while we see the medical system opening up around length of labor and length of pushing, having less restrictions and restraints in some areas, we also see as home birth midwives, more long labors, more posterior labors that need assistance, whether that's physiological assistance or transfer for cesareans, transfers for epidurals and pitocin. That seems much more common like I said, I went to births for seven years before I saw labor like that. Not that I went to a lot of labors because I, in Minnesota, there wasn't a lot of home birth. But nevertheless, people in my area would just drop their mouths when they think seven years <laughs> before you see a labor that, you know, everybody's going, why won't this baby come? And that baby did uh, very simply, actually, which yeah. led me to ask my question about how can I help birth be easier. And then, so we have that, we have metabolic change. We also have lifestyle change. And if we yeah. look at Sutton's work, she looks at lifestyle, but I think we have to combine lifestyle with insulin resistance and metabolic issues, which we don't understand around childbirth very well, but we do know that low thyroid is associated with more posterior labors and more breached labors. Yeah. The details of which I don't know, uh, but we do have studies for more occurrence. And so we know that that fetal position reflects metabolism. And we know from the techniques we use to release tight or torqued muscles and fascia or to support loose fascia and muscles that... Therefore, body balance, what we call body, body balance, uh, is a player. And another name for body balance is tensegrity. Tensegrity is a word mm -hmm. fuller about uh, architecture, but it's used in uh, the world of body work to talk about the tensions in the body that hold us vertical or that yeah. allow our muscles to hold up our skeleton or for weight lifters to lift weights. They're all using the fascia. And we live in gravity. So if we have a sudden stop in gravity, therefore, for some people, that can really impact their fascia. Why some people more than others? Well, we have a spectrum of tensions and flexibility in our bodies. And there can be multiple factors in the sudden stop in gravity that would affect this. For instance, if we're in a car with a seatbelt and we're driving and we hit a curb or there's an impact, even if it's a minor impact, seemingly minor impact, we might not go to the hospital for it. The seatbelt holds our skeleton back, but our internal organs are still moving with centrifugal force. And then they have a, a sudden jolt and the ligaments of the uterus, the muscles in the pelvis, they can get torqued. And now we have 
what I call less space for baby. Jamie calls yeah. it bone in the muscles. There, we're talking about tensegrity. I'm coming through the view, spinning babies is coming through the view that a pregnant person is going to be interested in the baby within because they're getting ready for parenting. And the yeah. body worker is going to be interested in how the anatomy all connects. So we're going for the same opportunities in physiology. I'm just simply calling it something that a parent would be attracted to or curious about. Like, what do you mean spinning babies? You know, I'm going to bet you've heard that a few times. <laughs> yeah. And people don't I love understand it. the paradigm of of physiology and not force. Force can be life-saving, first of all. Let's make that clear. The physiology mm -hmm. perspective is an and. The mechanical pers uh, perspective is an or. So domination gives well, that's us- That's fascinating. Say that, say that again, like unpack that a little deeper. That's really fascinating. You know, it's how we see the world. And if we, we are trained in a domination model of do what I say, it's control tactics to control peoples, to control little kids, to control students, whatever it is. And it, it's very top down power over. It's top yeah, down yeah. power over, mm -hmm. right? And and mm -hmm. you question that, but there is some value in that. If my kid runs in the street, I'm gonna say, stop right now. I'm not going mm -hmm. to try to I'm not gonna try to emotionally connect with them in that very <laughs> moment. I'm gonna try to keep yeah. them out of the right. car. And right. then can uh, this comes from Yvette Erasmus, by the way, Yvette Erasmus, mm. Yvette with a Y. Um, she talks about this connection communication and it takes longer. It comes out of nonviolent communication, but then it is made workable and doable and human connection oriented. Uh, and it's, it is communication through physiology. To me, I'm looking at physiology to to bring a paradigm of physiology first to the world, I have to confront what in me is physiology, which the body connects. You know, it doesn't work for my liver to attack my spleen. I want them to connect and collaborate. Okay, so now then how does that go in relationships and communication in, in midwifery care, in all birth care, caring for our public health and you know, our maternity care, black maternity care, where is the physiology that raises us up as the community, the body of the community? So let's just start with birth, right? Because we're all, we're all about birth. Our bodies have this innate wisdom. We know that, but our culture is not designed to support it. Whether it's high heel shoes, cement, cars seated in cars using one foot over the other you know to the to the overdevelopment of our right hip gets all screwy and so on and so forth the constant um confrontation of our parasympathetics to keep us in yes life. so yes. our physiology is our teacher if we can understand our the needs of our physiology including the nervous system then that informs us 
and how to give care. What supports mm-hmm. attachment? What supports attachment? Easier birth is for better attachment opportunities. Better is a judgment word. So let's say that again. Attachment is a natural result of physiology. Yeah. Right? That makes sense. And so mm-hmm. we're looking at birth care to, to really optimize that. We're talking about our communication, our relationship with ourselves, our relation. You know, that's why there's mm. talk about overcoming our trauma. And yeah. I was listening it's to my main words. focus these days, too. Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. On. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that is an antithesis to our physiology functioning. Right. And, so- and, and we can see it in both the macro and the micro. Right. Like we see it in the in the communities, in the culture and the society and the countries. You know, I've been in a lot of different countries and we're seeing the same kind of dysfunction happening everywhere. But we can also see it in relationship, in communication, in marriage, in parenting and in the body itself. There's dysfunction everywhere. There's trauma everywhere. Yes. And where do we say in our culture of midwifery that it starts? We say peace on earth starts at birth. We're talking Mm -hmm. about. But it's before that. But yeah. It is Mm -hmm. before that. It is before that. And if we call birth. Yeah. Right. Where, where do you begin? You oh you begin where you are oh wait a minute where you are not the conception of the baby the conception of the the birthing person the mother the parent oh wait a minute yeah their parent (laughs) oh wait a minute their how many generations do we get back the exciting thing is well and how many generations have put us where we are yeah Yeah. go ahead say it again the exciting thing is we can heal the past by healing the present and we can heal the future Mm. as well. Because now we know there is no time and space. <laughs> so juicy. Ah, I knew it was going to be so awesome. <laughs> We're just like hitting the ground running. Well, Gail, I, I, I fully agree. And, and I want to circle back to um, this question that we started with, which is like, how is birth different? Endocrine disruptors, oh. um, you know, environmental toxins, poisons in the air, water, and food, less nutrients in the ground, antibiotics and growth steroids and pesticides. I mean, right, like we can just keep going. And we don't know the downline effect of all of these changes for now, at least two generations, I think. And one of the interesting statistics that I'm aware of recently is that, um, 57% of the population has some level of joint hypermobility. So like now the society is actually showing us that physiologic dysfunction at the micro that's happening at the macro. Mm -hmm. I I want to address that because that's a scary list, Augustina. We have pregnant people and we have doulas listening to that that'll be talking to pregnant people. And one, there's a couple of things that we have learned to combat environmental toxins and some of the issues that we face today. And the two things are taking care of our insulin mm-hmm. and movement. Mm-hmm. And the body movement can inform our DNA on how to express itself more optimally. So movement mm-hmm. is towards health. 
maybe for for some people more than what they eat and for others and i'm one of those others i have a lot of genetic factors that i really have to watch broccoli is a poison to me that took me a long time mm-hmm. to figure that one out mm-hmm. And so some of us have genetic factors, about 20 to 25% that have to be very particular about avoiding things that are going to overwhelm us. However, movement helps everybody. So Mm -hmm. I, when I went back and asked, how can I help birth be easier? I started that question when I knew birth positions, psychological support, uh, midwifery, I I had a midwife for my child and I was 17, but my midwife didn't know about upright birth or not having an episiotomy in 1977, you know? Wow. So uh, actually it was my friend's birth who had a doctor and she was totally on her back with drapes and foot and stirrups, but he taught himself how to catch a baby with no episiotomy because that was her request. I want my baby without an episiotomy. Yeah. So he went and talked to a veterinarian and said, how do you help <laughs> the lambs without an episiotomy? Oh my God. It's so funny and ludicrous and sad all at the same time. Oh my God. But oh, it's so beautiful yes. to go to lateral it's knowledge. Beautiful. Yeah. And, well, and that's what you are brilliant about. And like, it's a perfect segue to this next piece, uh, which is like, this interprofessional, collaborative, collegial thing that you've built, which has pulled in all these disparate knowledge bases. How did you do this? How did you know to do this? How did I, didn't, it I didn't go to school. <laughs> Definitely. You're self-taught. But like when you were starting to look for the answer. I'm not self-taught. Was it, was it the... let's, let's, wait, let's go back. I'm okay. not self-taught. Okay, okay. Okay, so well, there's babies that I got to sit with taught me. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But I mean, that paradigm shift from, from you know, classic academics compared to, you know, uh, I, watching, learning. My sort of training thing, yeah. didn't involve categories on how to think about birth. Huh. Now, there's value sense. in that because I had gaps mm-hmm. in my education, right? Mm-hmm. However... And this comes back to there is no time and space, and there really isn't any difference between us. And and I didn't know what this was called in those days, but now I know it's mirror neurons. And as I was with a birthing person, really in the last weeks of the pregnancy, sometimes meeting them before pregnancy, first trimester, second trimester, but most of the people I was spending time with quite a bit of time with before they gave birth hours you know listening to their listening to them listening to them listening to them so i could have some safety and we could have a trusting relationship whether i was their doula or their midwife that was the the uh, privilege of the day you know that was the 80s and and the 90s and then as they were in labor I could stand close to them, perhaps touching their back or their hips or something, but maybe just being close by. And when the labor started to express a slowdown, uh, a diffusion of energy, a halt in the in the flow of energy through their spine, for instance, 
I could say if my body felt like their body, what would be happening inside? Mm. And then I could interpret the muscle tensions, the skin temperatures, the the facial expressions, the breath, and the different things that our brains, those of us that can do right left hemisphere, very fast and take in those signals, then my brain could say, with the next contraction, you know, you you might like to put your foot up on a stool or um, Phyllis Klaus has taught us three things that will help reduce trauma. I observe, mm -hmm. I wonder, and may I help you? I'm observing that when the contraction comes, you pull your right hip closer into yourself. I wonder if baby's trying to come past your right hip. Would it be all right if with the next contraction, you tried putting your foot on the stool? Or do you want help with that? Some people are going to want help. Some people say, I can't do, I can't move, I can't move. And I'll say, that's okay. You don't have to. Would it be all right if I helped you? And that helps overcome that fear of movement. Um, and other people are like, you mention it, and they're like, they've got the solution right there in their body. Because yeah. they're, they're not separated from their body by society or family or whatever yeah. to them. And yeah. so those three questions help us start with where the birthing person is. And then offer the, our observation as an observation, not as a diagnosis. Because if I tell that person what's going on in their body and I have the solution for it and it doesn't work out, I have caused trauma. And if I diagnose and I say, here's the expert telling you what to do, and it does work out, I've disempowered them. That's the domination Oof. system. What word medicine? What mm. is physiology? So What's physiology? Mm. Physiology is I'm just another cell in the body right now. I happen to be their doula or happen to be their midwife. And those are two very different roles for listeners. Yes. Um, yes. High five to that. Yes. Yes. Very important. <laughs> and I think that even home birth families, you know, the doula is different. The doula is more like a, a community elder. She doesn't have to have had a, or they don't have to have had a home birth, but there is a difference in holding space when you're in somebody's home than in the mm -hmm. hospital because in the hospital you have to create you have, you become the environment for that person and if you did that in the home it would be <laughs> rather offensive for the average home birth <laughs> you know because they're, yeah. they're in their environment already anyway yeah 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 uh, yeah wow. so that's how i well did, this is just, I, figured I mean out again this is another layer though like you have like this communication layer this understanding of where you fit is like, I mean, this is what I think has catapulted you to the place that you and your organization now reside, which is like the resource. I mean, Gail, I'm sure you know this, but like pretty much every midwife in the world recommends their clients read your website. You know this, right? Well, I've been told this by the midwives that do refer to my website. <laughs> However, I've met a lot of midwives who've never heard of me. 
or okay, maybe not the entire globe yet. It's coming, but <laughs> it's but it's coming. pretty. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, it's... and it's partly due to this piece is that you have holistically understood our place in the process. Well, thank you, Augustine. I think that humility is is vital because humility allows us to listen and observe with without a full cup you know it helps mm -hmm. us to to let the birthing person and the baby be the center and the the person who's sending us we're the receivers they're sending us the signal how can we respect their space and stay out of the way if we're not needed and when we are needed to have it come from them and have us serve them rather than um, rescue. Sometimes you have to rescue. There are birds where you have to rescue, but they're it's such a balance, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a balance. There's many that yeah. we have to serve, but few we have to rescue. You know what I mean? Yeah, the balance. Mm -hmm. The balance has to be right. But it is, I mean, it is the work of a lifetime, don't you think? Like getting that piece right. Because if yeah. you just serve, you will serve people that uh, perish in your care. You have to actually rescue sometimes. Yeah. And if you just are constantly rescuing, you will spend your career disempowering, right? It's such a balance to catch. Oh, that's and beautiful. And it's hard to teach. I like that. You yeah. know, as I listen to your material, I see you thinking outside the box. You're not a linear thinker. You're able to hold the layers of nuance. And not everybody does and not everybody has to. But I, I love the fact that midwifery leadership can do that. You know, it's it's not about um, midwives are better than doctors. Natural birth is better than uh, epidural or a cesarean. That is so uh, disempowering. That's the old paradigm. Yeah, yeah. that's the old paradigm. We're still domination-based, even if it's good for that person, right? <laughs> if, if that's, if that's uh, the tendency is, is, well, you have to get up and walk around. You can't be laying in bed. You know, that's still domination based. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's externally, um, we're, we're, nobody can know what's happening inside your body. And I feel like I've, I've said this before, but apropos this moment, this is why I'm actually grateful for that birth story of mine you read and the one before it, which was also unassisted, you know, is that my entry into midwifery was total sovereignty. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's maybe the best, most surprising, most amazing gift I've, I could have ever received is this inside out knowing mm -hmm. that what, what it feels like. There's no other to way to be the knowing. sovereign. There's yeah. no other way of knowing. There's, I mean, you have to know from the inside issue. out. I think you're right. Yeah. Everything well, I got it like day one. And that's every yeah. Everything external is knowledge, but it's not wisdom. Mm, right? We need the powerful. integration. 
the external mm. can enhance our inner knowing but if we don't have that knowing the external just falls around us like blocks of cement mm. so powerful yeah and that that um being robbed of that sovereignty i think is i mean certainly losing a child is devastating but we don't underestimate the devastation of losing yourself in the process because it was taken from you and this is that balance that i think those of us really in modern midwifery are trying to cultivate is this balance between the nuts and bolts reality of literally saving lives compared to the nuts and bolts reality of robbing people of their freedom and their sovereignty the both of those are vitally important and we've you know as a culture only focused on the physical and luckily <laughs> educators like yourself have taken us all the way into this realm you are such a teacher you are such an educator um what you were applying it yourself and then at some point you decided everybody needs this tell me about that decision how did you how i did didn't you really think everybody needs this i didn't think about well it. everyone else I, thought that I, maybe <laughs> i there was a beautiful family that i still get to hear from occasionally the mother was someone who took a doula training i was a doula teacher once upon a time a doula trainer and in St. Paul, there's a community center called the Native American Community Center. And a wonderful woman there who had been in theater, uh, Pat Welch, created the Turtle Women Doula uh, group. And I, because I was Dona approved, I got to be the doula trainer, but it was really the, the Turtle Women that created this dynamic. And they, it was a beautiful organization. And a variety of community women could come in and take the doula training. And one of them that did came with her eight month old and we got to know each other. And then later she asked me to be uh, her doula for her fifth baby. She had had four cesareans. The indication for the first cesarean was it was 5 PM on a Friday night. So, you know, that that is life-threatening, oh wait, I mean schedule-threatening of the doctor. And so they did a cesarean. And then she had two more cesareans simply because she had the first one. And the fourth one, the little girl that I met, the placenta was covering the cervix, so she had a necessary cesarean. And her fifth one, she had a home birth and I got to be her midwife. And uh, I didn't know that she was going to have a home birth at the beginning. She asked me to support her. And I, she, this was a person with a master's in communication, but she had no hearing. And she really knew herself. She knew what she was about. The hospital said, no way can you have a vaginal birth. And she said, okay, I'll have a home birth then. And they said, well, why don't you come to the hospital? We'll let you have a vaginal birth. And she said, you're bait and switching me. And she stayed home and it was some work to help the baby engage. Um, and then once the baby was coming, we had a, a shoulder dystocia and she taught me about uh, a double inlet shoulder dystocia, which wasn't in the books and I hadn't heard of her ever. And fortunately she uh, made a move that just shot the baby right out. 
but you know i could not even reach the shoulders and the baby then was gray from the stretch and the collarbones were were semi-vertical and um and so we brought in a chiropractor and and the baby uh was able to nurse and pink up and all that great stuff and then she had the next baby when i was out of town and the next baby i got to be with her again and uh, she taught me a lot about the inlet because her inlet was a little bit different and not nothing wrong with it just different than the management styles given to birthing right the the, the there was a lack of knowledge about the positions that was going to be appropriate for for helping her baby engage it's one thing to go outside of the norm just in order to serve somebody, but it's another thing to go outside of the norm because the norm doesn't have the knowledge to serve them. And that's, that's right. what we're shifting today. This is helping me understand the pelvis in the three dimensions, the baby in three dimensions. And that was something that another one of my preceptors or my mentors I, I didn't go through midwifery training either. I got to go to births with many midwives. I didn't start out on my own. I, I went to births with midwives, but I didn't have a, a preceptor because where I lived in those days, they weren't available. But people would take mm -hmm. me to births. And so I got to mm -hmm. see a lot of different practices and a lot of different styles. And one of them was particularly influential, a mother of 11, Jan Hofer. And she passed in 2001, but she saw that I had spatial knowledge. So even before I had skills, she was inviting me to twin pregnant, you know, to prenatal appointments where someone with twins would come in and I would palpate the twins and I would say, here they are. And then she could find those parts. You know, it was people weren't going for ultrasounds in those days. Home birth people weren't going to ultrasounds. Even people in the hospital in those days rarely got ultrasound um I'm, right. I'm a little bit old oh i've seen a lot of changes thank god thank yeah. god we need really wisdom fun. makers to be yeah for sure and and so there's this three-dimensional aspect in it and we talk about spinning babies being a third perspective you know we human nature wants to have it an either or and so it might be midwifery mm -hmm. doctors, it might be natural birth, technological birth, it might be free birth, managed birth, whatever it is. Sitting down, laying down, there's up, down, black and white dichotomy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We need, actually, we need both uh, freedom and control or freedom and security. We, let's think of it that way. I don't happen to believe that we get security out of over management of birth. I happen to think we get security from freedom and birth. <laughs> However, we have, uh, if we if we look at it, if we look at it as a, let's say natural birth, which is sort of physiology without understanding physiology, or interventive birth, highly managed birth, we need a little of both of those because there are people in each area that are superpowering that metaphor or that style that then give us knowledge to and what mm. spinning babies does is gives a third alternative where we come out of the either or and hold physiology first as our teacher and as our 
baseline. But what is missing from both extremes is an understanding of physiology. We don't, you know, people are trying to be hands off, entirely hands off at a birth, not just breech births, but any birth. And, you know, the that's ignorant. That can be ignorance. Patience uh, is an excuse for ignorance. Yes. And mm. what can we learn? Wait, say that again. That's tweetable. Yeah, patience is not an excuse for ignorance. I've been saying that for years. I'm breaking ideology. We cannot have freedom under ideology on either side of the extreme. These are polarities that we can't live without. How do we integrate what we need in a way that upholds our beings? That says, yes, freedom, yes, security. What can we learn? Really, if our ultimate goal is improved attachment, because through improved attachment, we have self-connection, we have confidence in ourselves, we have connection with our babies, we have connection in society, and we have a more peaceful, less violent society. We have to, we have to address some of the things that mess up our brains out there in the world, but it's, but how do we know what normal is we learn what normal is when we look at our mothers or our birthing parent that's where that that goes right into our neurons this uh, what is happening in my world right now is normal and what is america doing dumping fentanyl into those children and what's normal in our society for people under stress fentanyl if we want to break the opioid habit, we have to break it in, in labor because we're teaching everybody this is normal. This is what feels yeah, right. And it's responsible for so much damage. Gosh. Well, so um, I want to circle back because I just want to hear a little bit more about your story. How did it come to be that you created a global platform? <laughs> Because you have I guess such, I had you know, big... organic grassroots learning, like, and then it became huge. So how did that happen? That's a good question. I could answer that in so many different ways, Augustine. I could say I must have had a big karma to overcome. So I was motivated. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I, I could have said, I could say, um, I'm very good at jingles. <laughs> It's a good Maybe. time, but it is a different paradigm that empowers the birthing parent, their partner, if they are fortunate <clears throat> to have a partner, their doula or other labor support person, the midwife, the nurse, the doctor, everybody can be empowered with physiology. It's something I have it's connection for days you in instead of pushes you out. Yeah. Yeah. Connection. Yeah. And it's lateral knowledge. So we can only yep. we can only change the paradigm if we bring in other points of view. Einstein said we can't solve the problem with the same kind of thinking that caused the problem. And I wasn't thinking, oh, Einstein said this, so how can I think about birth differently? Mm -hmm. I just wasn't educated. Right? <laughs> so who did I go to for my teacher? I was educated in Montessori method of, of early childhood education, where the child is the teacher. 
So who's the teacher in birth? It's the baby and the person giving birth. And this dyad is telling us what we need to know. Can we make every birth easier? Maybe not. But then we learn to back up. And it's not just at the birth, but it's in birth preparation. It's not just in birth preparation. It's in the birth team. It's not just in the birth team. It's in maternity care and on and on and on. So you pick your circle. You have professionals at every circle. We have the psychological. We have the body workers. We have the birth workers. You know, give them a platform where everybody can bring their talents forward. Bring it to the people. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. We don't have to have any enemies mm. to do this. I mean, if I had if I had to go back the paradigm that I <laughs> no, I would say Dali had some things that he offered, but he had some big things he took away from how we think about birth. But that doesn't make us healthier to be against Dali or Friedman or whoever. That's not helpful. That's these are all part of our body. So, you know, yeah, I, the body of knowledge. It's it's again that yes and, right? Like you're just doing this yes and on this huge giant scale instead of the paradigm of separate and cut off and dis distance and discriminate and you know, all all of the, the old paradigm, which is this divide and conquer, and you're 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 moving into this. Yes, I I'm am. bringing it together. And the other thing that makes spinning babies worldwide is that it's spatial. And no one before mm. me has ever systemized the diameters of the pelvis before or looked at the anatomy in relation to the fetal rotation and descent. And part of fetal rotation is, if we back it up, is fetal presentation and position. So I started with the question, what can make it easier for posterior babies? And that's looking at a fetal position. And I spent a few years going anterior or posterior until I realized that that's not, that, those, are, those are expressions of something deeper. And what's deeper is the anatomy. And many things in our anatomy have been influenced by gravity, lifestyle, insulin, et cetera, et cetera, metabolism, sports, accidents, all these things, uh, posture habits. But we can activate the fascia to overcome those. And there's the spectrum of ease. For some people, it's one technique. I walked into a four-day labor, no stopping contractions for four days. The baby was not in the pelvis. 15 minutes after I got there and doing Carol Phillips' wonderful sideline release, the baby was in the pelvis for the first time. Actually, I think we had to do, yeah, we were then going to do Walters. The mother said no. But for four days, you know, fetal engagement is the beginning of progress. So right. if we're not at fetal engagement, why not? The body is not, it can't. This is the thing, Augustine, a long labor can have a very normal outcome. A long labor can be an expression of that individual. There are some individuals 
who are just, their whole personality is, I am going to take this slow and there is nothing wrong, right? This is not about right and wrong. But there are some, many, I wouldn't say some, I would say there are some long labors that are expression of that individual in their best, in their best. There are some long labors that are expressions of what's happened to us in gravity or the birth position that we're being made to be in. But we, you know, being upright is not going to solve all this because we have to go back. We have to start with tensegrity. In spinning babies, we have three principles, balance, gravity, and movement. We begin with balance because that's where function lives. If we're not helping mm. restore function because we've had offenses in society that people are are in fight and flight with due to society reasons, family reasons, due to an injury they sustained years ago, any number of reasons. We don't have to blame anybody. It's not somebody's fault that they didn't sit up in their pregnancy. It's a whole system of how we yes. live in the world. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what? letting me go on my soapbox. I love it. I love it. What are you doing now in your professional life that you are loving? Oh, what a beautiful question. You know, you mentioned Nicole Morales earlier. Nicole is developing so much and my relationship with her to see someone take this idea into their talented intelligence and their path. And, and, you know, it's not just what she got from spinning babies. I don't mean to imply that, but there are definite foundational things that are now being blossoming in her work with breach and shoulder dystocia there. We have another trainer who is going into advanced research and she started with spinning babies as a student. And so all her midwife midwifery was always integrating spinning babies from the beginning. And, uh, she, she's able to, she's on the way now to prove it with the scientific method, you know? So I think I'm 64, Augustine, and I would say what's rewarding to me in my professional life right now is the passing on to see these talents and in the business too, because Spinning Babies has been able to sustain several people's incomes and develop uh, business careers as well for, for a few people. So passing that torch on, you know, and seeing, seeing the sustainability that's coming because of the dedication of those individuals, the individuals mm. that are carrying the torch. Uh, it's a way of looking at birth that shifts from uh, a model of the body as a machine over into a more quantum model of physiology and that is going to allow people who are birth professionals who are afraid to use physiology and it's going to take that fear down so that uh, spontaneous birth positions chosen by the person giving birth are not frightening to them. Mm. There's some need for formula for the student. I understand that. 
we have different types of people learning. And some people are linear. You and I are not linear, <laughs> but some people are. And, and even us as nonlinear types, there is a section of our education where formula is extremely useful. And then our brains- Like resuscitation. Resuscitation. Like even read formula. Reach Follow reach the steps. resolution. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We need to know those formula. Uh, and then we need to know why they don't work in certain circumstances. Mm. And that's the spatial knowledge of the diameters of the pelvis, of the physiology and function of the of the anatomy of the nervous system, and then of our entire societal way of supporting or not supporting birth that has to be taken down. It's all connected. It's all mm. connected. And we can't burn anybody down while we do it. We do it the more Aquarian okay. way. That's my high five, girlfriend. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's what's working. Ooh, you're so inspiring. We're going to see this change. It's the only way, actually, anything has ever worked. Yes, in our lifetime, it's going to come. I believe it. I'm working towards it. I know you are too. Yes. Mm -hmm. The hospitals are taking on spinning babies. The East Coast, several hospital systems took spinning babies on, I think, for 2022 initiative to reduce their cesarean rates. Like, this was dozens and dozens of hospitals. We have hospitals all around the world that take spinning babies into their staff trainings. They bring our trainers to their systems, and their rates consistently, re they can reduce their cesarean rate by 35% some 45%, some, some only 22%, but typically it's 35% in immediately, immediately. Mm, that's and, epic. Yeah. Oh, and the, the doulas do, can also help uh, reduce the cesarean rate in similar rates. And it would be really curious to see the combination of doulas and spinning babies. But midwives need to well, that takes a hospitals like in the US, the hospital average cesarean rates 33%. And that would take their cesarean rate down to 20%. Oh, 20% is a high rate for use of spinning babies. We've had home birth midwives, home birth midwives that tell me I haven't had to transport for a year now. And and when it's an Alaskan midwife that has to fly somebody to the hospital, yeah. that's significant. When it's someone in the Amazonia who would have to fly or take a bus trip to get to a hospital, there was a midwife in Indonesia who a fisherman came to get her for someone on another island who there was no hospital there. She had to wait for the next day to try to get a boat to a hospital and they didn't think the baby would live. She went and in the sand, they did techniques to activate her physiology. And she had the baby in the sand, sugar coated on the beach, <laughs> waiting for the sun to rise. And, you know, we- That can, is beautiful. It's our physiology, it's our birthright. We just have to understand how to, how to activate it and restore it to its full function. Wow. Well, Gail, my, um, I, I have one more question for you. 
for this paradigm shift to happen for all of the things that you're working towards, where does someone who is either a new midwife or an experienced midwife who was brought up in the old paradigm and can see the nuggets of truth and is like, yes, I, I want to shift this. What is the first step or what do you recommend or what do you wish that they could do for and with themselves and their community to usher in this paradigm shift soon? Mm, powerful question. And each person's going to find their path, whether it's pouring a cup of tea and reading the website or getting themselves to in-person workshop. But, you know, for some people that's not hard to do, and for other people they're a thousand miles away. But we do have workshops around the world. And that's just an introduction. So I would say 10% of the people that go to one-day workshop are going to be revolutionized. The others are going to be assisted. You know, the techniques are not the paradigm shift. The techniques can be used in the old paradigm. So if you want a paradigm shift, you start to think about physiology first and what does that mean in your setting with your practice and uh, consider physiology rather than measurement. It doesn't mean you're stopped measuring. You're still going to have to measure things, vital signs. You're in a hospital, you're going to be doing vaginal exams. It's not about one is wrong and one is right. It's about one is looking at the spatial. Learn the pelvis like you know your sock drawer at midnight. Mm. Right? So that you, <laughs> when you do have to reach in, you know if you're at the inlet, the mid pelvis, the outlet. You know if you're at the sacral promontory or the brim. Uh, because there might be a chin there. There might be a shoulder there. You might have to be helping. And the pelvis moves and opens with different movements. The part of the pelvis where the baby is waiting opens with a different movement than we are taught in midwifery school, we are taught on the internet, we are taught in the books. And so the new the new education is starting to get into the books now, the new pelvic levels. So can I don't know how to say that shortly, Augustine. That's okay. It doesn't have to be short. I mean, we could narrow it down to like one concept, which is like, get yourself to a spinning babies workshop. Like that's, that's there, pretty straightforward. There is a, but you have a digital your secondary book. is to think about this. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, we have a digital quick reference, which is the outline of the spinning babies workshop. I meant it as a reference from people who went to the workshop, but you can use it as a reference to look things up on the website as well. My belief is to give enough free information to reduce suffering and prevent death and give it free. And then if you want it systemized, come and pay for material because some people need that personal relationship with the trainer to go, aha. And then we have online courses. Yeah. We're going to really be yeah. boosting that in 2024. I'm so, so grateful to you, Gail. Such a, such a fan, like, 25 years fan and um i can't wait to see what's next i can't wait to see um how your organization continues to lead and uh evolve yeah thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you do thank you augustine it's so good to get to know you better